Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Hour number two of our broadcast. Welcome back. I'm Bill Shanks. Chris, he's ready. Go ahead and call him. We uh, have a little change here in our schedule, which is no big deal, but nonetheless... We were going to have Kylie McDaniel on at 4 o'clock. He had to switch around with us, so we're going to flip-flop our two guests today, and we're going to have Miles Garrett coming on in just a moment. Miles Garrett from Fox 5 in Atlanta, who just told me he just arrived in Northport, Florida. What better timing could we have? Holy cow! So we will have Miles Garrett talking a little Braves baseball. And a little bit about the Falcons, of course. We always bring him on to talk about the Falcons. But um, what great timing that he just arrived in Northport to provide coverage for spring training. Then we'll have Kylie McDaniel on from ESPN to talk about the Braves' prospects coming up in our next segment. Let's bring in Miles Garrett, though. You can follow him on Twitter at MilesGarrettTV. He is from Fox 5, where you can get all kinds of additional content, even if you're not in the Atlanta area by downloading the Fox 5 local app for UGA and Falcons content. And I think we're going to see some Braves content on that there app here in the next couple of days. Since you, Now, did you fly to Northport or did you drive all the way down 75, that long track? <laughs> no, uh, DJ Shockley and myself, we actually just landed down here in, uh, in Sarasota moments ago. So we're, we're headed down to Northport now in the rental car. Okay, awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking a, a few moments and appreciate you uh, flipping with, with Kylie. So um, you're going to be there from day one. That's awesome. I know you're not going to be there the whole time, but, but it's kind of fun when you're – I've been there from from day one when they first get out there. So what are you most looking forward to with with spring training? What are the What are the few – storylines you're going to be looking for and it's kind of i'm sure you've thought about this to prepare for for your trip down there what what's what's on your mind as you head down there for spring training 2024 yeah i mean i think the rotation obviously has to be at the forefront of what myself and i'm sure a lot of Braves fans are going to be paying attention to because you know in the playoffs that was ultimately their undoing there so i mean the the health will be paramount but you also want to take a look at those guys who may end up contributing later in the year or maybe on day one. You never know who those guys might be. Um, you're excited to see the development of uh, Hurston Waldrop, the former first-round pick, as well as seeing where Chris Sale is at. So I think there's a lot of different storylines to look at specifically in the, the pitching rotation because I think you all kind of know what this team is offensively. I think pitching-wise, if they can get that right, there's no stopping them this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, you know, there's really no mystery when it comes to the offense. I mean – and, Miles, I don't think we should expect the offense to be the same, but even if they're 85% of what they were last year, my God, that's still going to be record-setting offense, won't it? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, and then, you're, of course, you get the new additions like Jared Kalanick and uh, Sean Murphy, hopefully back to 100% there behind the plate with Travis Darno. You know, Matt, we all know what the Stars can do, right, at this point. Matt Olson, Austin yeah. Riley, Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, they've been with the team for some time. We, we know what they can bring to the table when they're fully healthy, so – that's going to be the big thing because baseball, as you know, is a very long season. You're not going to be healthy for all 162 of them. So uh, if they can stay healthy, there shouldn't be any stopping it. But uh, Alex Anthopoulos has built some pretty good depth here, and it'll be exciting to see that depth in spring training. So Chris Sale has been an all-star. He has been a, a, a 
the best pitcher in the game at, at certain times in his career when he's been healthy. He had 20 starts last year, and of course you'd love to be able to time any type of issue that he had where he had to be out so it couldn't be in the postseason. But it, it also sounds like from, from reading about how his teammates are viewing him, Miles, as he's kind of the jerkwide that they may have needed as far as the veteran guy who's been through it, who's not going to take any crap. I'm kind of anxious to see if if that's going to be visible even in, in February and March, aren't you? Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see if it is visible. Obviously, you don't really see those types of emotions until you know maybe the end of the season when the playoffs are a lot closer or you know maybe you see it if there's questionable calls during the season guys who step up and you know kind of voice their support for players you know whether that's Ronald Acuna Jr. maybe getting hit by a ball we've seen that so many times this year coming out to defend him that type of thing you know it's 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 big to have that guy on your roster I think we saw it with the Phillies this past year kind of gave them an advantage in the postseason and I think the Braves had it in 21 with you know guys like Jock Peterson Mm -hmm. or Jay Soler you you had those voices in there that you know kind of gave you that competitive edge at times. And, you know, Chris Sale ideally could be that guy for this team. Yeah, they wouldn't have beat beaten Chico's Bell Bonds in 21 without Jock Peterson. I mean, there's <laughs> just no doubt in my mind that that's uh, that's the, the presence that he had. And, and then we're going to have a fifth starters competition. You mentioned Hurston Waldrop, uh, A.J. Smith-Shalver. They're going to stretch out Reynaldo Lopez. I, I always think it's fun when there's a – fifth starters competition because we know who the top four are going to be as long as they're healthy. So that'll be kind of fun to track for the next six, seven weeks, won't it? It will. And uh, Justin Toscano, a big rider for the Braves, uh, he did tweet out a lot about uh, kind of Reynaldo Lopez himself. I think he could be one you could be watching maybe get a lot more reps potentially at starter. I think it'll mm-hmm. be something it'll be exciting to kind of monitor here this spring training. But, yeah, I mean, you kind of assume the – the ones that are kind of locked in, obviously, Spencer Strider, Max Freed, and, uh, you know, Charlie Morton, a host of others. But, you know, Chris uh, Sale ideally would fit in right there. But, yeah, you know, you've got some guys that are just still recovering. Maybe Ian Anderson recovers back to what he was two years ago. It's been kind of a long journey for him um, to see him come back from what he was doing. But, you know, you still got Bryce Elder, and you get first – half of the season Bryce Elder where he was an all-star you know there's a lot of storylines to watch in that uh, pitching rotation right now well and if I'm Bryce Elder I'm going to come into camp wanting to show that I'm the guy I mean he, he needs to do that doesn't he with the questions about him and him being in a competition after being an all-star I mean if you're him you got to uh, hope that okay I'm going to respond to this challenge and go out there and win win my job back because that's what he's pretty much got to do yeah, I mean, I'd say that's the the perfect scenario for him. Uh, you know, obviously, you, the good thing about Bryce Elder is you're not counting on him to be your number one guy. So I think because of that, you can kind of take some pressure off because at the end of the day, he still is a young guy. Yeah, uh, There's still some room to grow potentially. You know, he still could be working through some growing pains. But um, at the end of the day with him, I think if there's no, you know, complete regression, I think there still is a natural progression for him just because of his youth and what he did in year one. Uh, you know, I think it's just all about – building that towards the second half of the season. I think we saw a little bit of that with Spencer Strider a few years ago, where he came in and kind of started strong and then you know, wasn't as dominant as he was before. I think that just is a part of his youth, um, and I hope that that's the case with Bryce Elder. Miles Garrett, our guest from Fox 5 in Atlanta. Again, download the Fox 5 local app for more video content. All right, let's get into a couple of Falcons questions now. The Super Bowl is over. Uh, looks like the staff has uh, pretty much come together for – 
Raheem Morris, and and now we have already heard some more speculation linking Atlanta to Justin Fields. Is that going to get louder, do you think, in the next month? Oh, yeah, I'm sure, especially once the NFL Combine rolls around and, you know, these pro days start coming in and we get a better look at these prospects and then free agency, of course. I mean, I don't think we're going to see any of those big moves happen, you know, in the next couple of weeks. I think this will take its time with this process. And, you know, I'm sure the Bears themselves are probably trying to keep their poker face up and try to see what they can maybe get for the number one overall pick should they decide to keep Justin Fields and maybe keep that number one overall pick or trade it away. So if it is Caleb Williams, you would imagine that they do keep the number one overall pick and then trade Justin Fields. But as far as the chatter to Atlanta, um, you know, that that's something certainly to pay attention to. I think the Falcons will be linked to just about every quarterback there on the market this year, whether that's free agency trade or the NFL draft. But all that considered, yeah, that, those conversations I'm sure will only get louder as as this whole process unfolds. If you were Chicago, what would you do? Trade Fields or trade that first pick? It's tough because you, you do like the progression that that team looks like they made to, to finish off the season. I think the big question with Justin Fields with them, whether you're, you know, if you're Chicago, I think is the fact of, do you want to pay him? Because I think that's going to become the big issue with yeah. them going forward is, you know, do you start over with the quarterback on a rookie deal um, you know, you maybe trade down to three or something, get another quarterback and have a bunch of picks and surround that guy with a whole bunch of talent while he's still on his rookie deal. I think there's so many different things you can consider there, but I think you can't forget about the fact that Justin Fields and that offense look like they may have taken a turn for the better at the very end of last season. So uh, it's a lot of things to consider. Uh, I think it'll definitely boil down to, what you can get for that number one overall pick and where you think Justin Fields is at. Because obviously they've seen him a lot more in-depth than we have, you know, just watching him on TV and in practice. They, they see him in the film room. They see him a lot more in-depth. So I, I think it's going to be very Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, it's not easy, but they, they're in the catbird seat because they got a lot of picks already from flip-flopping with with Charlotte last year, and uh, that that puts them kind of in a in a great spot, no matter what they do, for for sure. So um, we're about a month away from free agency, um, and I, and I guess, and, and I know you and and DJ Shockley and your whole staff have talked a lot with with uh, Terry Fontenot and Raheem Morris over the last week since the press conference. I mean, this these next three or four weeks is constant evaluation first of what you've got, and then. What you what you need, I guess, right? Oh yeah, and it, we're actually going to be able to speak to, to those assistant coaches very very soon. Um, kind of get an idea for what their philosophy is coming up. And, you know, offensive coordinator Zach Zach uh, Robinson, as well as Jimmy Lake, defensive coordinator. We're going to get a better understanding of what they're all about, and uh, I think you'll find out a lot maybe on what their intentions are as far as personnel wise. Once we get an idea of what system they're going to run, how they're going to run it, that type of thing. So. Um, I'm sure this staff is going to start filling out to its uh, finality, I guess, a little bit more, if you want to call it that, uh, these next few weeks. But, yeah, I mean, I think they're ready to hit the ground running and uh, and get in the process of getting better. I, I think uh, Raheem Morris is ready to get this going. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch for sure. Well, Miles, thanks for taking some time. Thanks for flip-flopping uh, with Kylie having the little – little issue there and i know you just got in so i appreciate you taking a few minutes and uh, how long you down there for uh i am down here until the 21st so oh my uh, god you're down there yeah how about that that's a that's that's pretty good then 
Oh, yeah. i got to work on my tan, Bill. It's only February. <laughs> well, me too. If I work on my tan, I'll be in trouble. But no. <laughs> Well, have fun down there. That's great. I'll be there later in March, I hope. So uh, there's nothing like spring training. I'm envious of you being there at the very beginning. So you all have fun down there, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, Miles? We'll do, Bill. Take care. All right. Miles Garrett, our guest, again, Fox 5 in Atlanta. And he is down at Northport, and so uh, follow him on Twitter at Miles Garrett TV, M I L E S Garrett TV, and uh, he'll have plenty of video, I'm sure, of some of the players that we're talking about here as they arrive. Uh, knowing how television works and knowing how that gig works, I would imagine that Miles Garrett, DJ Shockley, of course, the uh, sports anchor there at Channel Five. They will probably be there early tomorrow, and they will get video of players coming in to rut report, quote-unquote, report for spring training, since that is the reporting day. So um, that ought to be fun, and follow Miles on Twitter for that information and that video. Uh, while I've been talking to Miles on MLB Network, again, Bill discusses what he's watching on TV while he's talking on the radio. There is the documentary I think I mentioned yesterday they had the documentary on of, of Johnny Bench. Johnny Bench was great. And now they've got the documentary of Dave Parker, the Cobra. And you want to talk about one son of a gun in baseball player back in the 1970s and the 1980s. Man alive, that son of a gun was something special now. He was unbelievable. 1979 All-Star Game, Seattle. He made a play, a carom off the wall in the Kingdome, and he threw that ball all the way to home plate. I think Brian Downing of the Angels was thrown out. And it's like, oh, my God, look at that arm from that right fielder. He was an unbelievable talent. I love Dave Parker. He was, he was one of those players like, okay, name some players that you used to love who are not on your team. I love Dave Parker. A lot of people hated him, but, man, Dave Parker, he had that big old left-handed swing. He was a big guy. He could hit. He could run when he was early, younger, of course. And even when he was older, he was still just a, such a great athlete. And he'd kill you. <laughs> Gene Garber, Braves relief pitcher Gene Garber, who's about half Dave Parker's size. <laughs> they, <laughs> they had a, a brawl. In Atlanta, and Gene Garber hit Dave Parker. And Gene Garber is telling us a story now. So Gene Garber is an Atlanta Braves relief pitcher in the nineteen from nineteen seventy eight through nineteen eighty six. Gene Garber. Gene Garber was about five foot ten, one hundred and seventy five pounds. Dave Parker was six foot five, and about two forty five. So they had a wild game. They had a big brawl with the with the um, all the pirates went crazy on a bad call by the umpire, and they went nuts, and Chuck Tanner went nuts, and the whole team went crazy. And then later, Gene Garber hit Dave Parker. So Gene Garber's telling me this story. We asked Skip Seda and I were with Gene Garber one time, and I think we were on the air, and we we asked him this story. I'm pretty sure we were. And we said, okay, tell us the Dave Parker story. <laughs> and he said, I think I've told you guys this story before. I'm like, well, I don't care. Tell it again. Who cares? <laughs> so he tells us the story about how Dave Parker 
was twice his size. He hit Dave Parker, and he said Dave Parker was one of my best friends in baseball because Gene Garber was from Pennsylvania, of course. He used to play for the Phillies before he got traded for the, to the Braves in 1978 for Dick Ruthven. Dave Parker played for the Pirates, so he was in in Pennsylvania as well. So he said Dave Parker had been over to my house. He had been to dinner. He he had he had been he had been a a you know friend. And so I hit him, and he charges the mound. And the video is great. You want to go see it on YouTube. Gene Garber stands there after hitting Dave Parker with like a sixty-nine mile an hour slider or changeup. And stands there ready to go, and Dale Murphy intercepts Dave Parker. Because if Dave Parker had gotten his hands on Gene Garber, there might have been a funeral four days later. <laughs> but Dave Parker was awesome. Just an awesome baseball player. So anyway, hey, we're talking baseball today, so I can talk about players like that. All right, we're going to take a break. Come back. Kylie McDaniel from ESPN will talk about the Braves prospects who are heading to camp. We'll do that and more as we continue on this Tuesday right after this. Now, back to the Bill Shank Show on the Superstations. All right, back on the program, 422. The other part about the Dave Parker documentary that's cool as hell is that Mean Joe Green is one of the people interviewed in the documentary. You know you're cool when your documentary documentary includes Mean Joe Green. <laughs> All right, let's talk more baseball now. Kylie McDaniel is with ESPN.com. We love ha- having Kylie on. He is, of course, a former Atlanta Braves executive as well as being a great writer on the draft, the minor leagues, and the entire sport of baseball. And we hope you will follow Kylie on Twitter as well at KylieMCD. He has great content on there, including his prospect list, which we're going to talk to him about. All right, so the, I, I know a lot of teams are already getting to spring training. The Braves officially report tomorrow for pitchers and catchers. And I've been talking baseball for most of the last 83 minutes. It's just a great time of year, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, thanks for having me on. By the way, um, yes, sir. It's especially it's especially fun for me because uh, the uh, I'd say the least fun part of what I do is having to do all the prospect lists you just mentioned because I wrote fifty thousand words in two weeks. It's like a fun <laughs> process, and then the writing part is terrible. And so I just finished that like four days ago, uh, and so now I get to pivot into draft season and you know pitchers and catchers report and you know talking to agents and scouts about what they've seen and who's moving up and down. I get to do like the maintenance and the travel and the hanging out with friends and the fun part, you know, watching a game on TV or something. Uh, I would say that the, the last two weeks were the not fun part. So, yeah. so for me specifically, it's great. I would imagine for fans as well, it's also getting better. Yeah. Well, you, you in other words, you've been working the last two weeks, right? Yeah. You can say that. Yeah. My wife could definitely attest that every night when she's like, do you want to watch TV together? And I'm like, sorry, I got to go in, into my into my content hole and just write for the next four hours, and then I'll come up at about two. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, I wanted to, to – I thought it was uh, good to go ahead and talk to you about your Braves list. And I think the first question I have is, is why not A.J. smith Shaver number one? You have Hurston Waldrop number one. And I, I think there is some – 
discussion about A.J. Smith-Shaliver, I, I know a- Alex Anthopoulos loves him, like capital L-O-V-E-S, bold, print, loves A.J. Smith-Shaliver. But why do you have him fourth and not one? Uh, well, the difference between him at first and fourth, uh, I think it's 77th and like 150th, and that might sound like a big gap. One to 77 is a giant gap. 77 to 150 is like almost a coin flip. Uh, those spots are very similar, especially this year more than others. That was in the intro this year that basically teams were telling me after about 40 or 50, all these guys look the same for the next 200 slots. Mm-hmm. So that would be one part of it. I have six guys in the system that are all in that 77 to 200 area, which is a really nice area because you get top 100 prospects out of there if they have like a good first half even. Uh, and also are the kinds of guys that can, at least if not headline a trade, be like a second piece. Uh, with Smith Schauber, I, I would imagine part of the reason Alex likes him is because he has all the intangible parts you want when you talk about projecting a guy to figure out how to get to his upside and that he was a two-way player and a dual sport player as a quarterback in high school. And so given the like super limited innings, you would think he'd be a slow burn, takes five years, put him on the 40 man late. Like he's 23 before you even see anything. Uh, and instead he showed that his stuff improved greatly, his physicality, his velocity, everything took a big jump in like his first full pro season. So a lot of scouts talk about liking the football mentality because there's like a little more structure, uh, a little more strength, uh, a little more aggression on the field. He's got all those things, and it speaks well to the makeup that the first time that he was only focusing on pitching, he took a huge jump forward. Uh, on top of that, went to the upper minors before anybody else in his class, including the guys that were drafted higher and were better on draft day and have been playing baseball only for their whole lives, got there before those guys did. And I would say that his standout ability was being able to assert himself in the strike zone with good stuff, particularly fastball, fastball heavy, fastball command. Those things really age well. The issue that I had is when looking at him visually, I see above average breaking ball, potentially above average uh, splitter changeup, uh, variations of the breaking ball. And then when you talk to scouts and analysts from other teams, particularly the analysts and sort of the advanced data, they say that like the, the off-speed stuff plays a little closer to average, maybe fringy at the moment, can play average to a little bit above, not quite what it looks like to the eye, and that his command of it isn't quite there. And you go back and watch the video, and you're like, okay, yeah, that is the, mm-hmm. he'll get ahead with the fastball, then can't finish the guy off. The, the curveball looks good, but maybe isn't a swing and miss pitch right now as it is. And so while he got there early, is going to be close. I would imagine we'll start the year in AAA. I think he's not quite there yet. And so then I have to put him in that bucket of like the pitcher where you need to see one more thing from him. And as you know, with pitchers, like anything can happen. So, and, and what you just said tells me, leave him in AAA as much as you can this year and let him develop those secondary pitches. Do you agree that that should be the, 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 the approach with him? Yeah, I would say ideally it would be, I mean, ideally you don't have anyone other than the five opening day guys making starts the whole season. That's not how anybody's season almost ever turns out. And so then the question is, is he the sixth best option or is he the seventh best option? Is he really good an inning or two at a time where you want to bring him up and pitch him in the bullpen and then maybe stretch him out late in the season to then move to the rotation next year and kind of run the risk of him just like settling into the bullpen and then not being able to become a starter? Uh, That all kind of depends on how he looks in March and April what kind of role do you want to put him in and how do you feel about Dodd and Vines and Enoa and Winans and Waldrop, like all these guys that could be the sixth, seventh, eighth guys to where you, that would allow you to leave him in triple A all year. I think that probably is best for his development, but like his development has not been a straight line. It's been bouncing all over the place, mostly up. And so it's also hard to predict what his entire next season is going to look like irrespective of who the other guys sort of in the, in the mix with him will be. So, and I think my big worry, Kylie, is that 
Alex is kind of falling in love with that stuff and that if he has the better spring, he, he might be the fifth starter when I think he needs to go to AAA. But all right, let's talk more about Waldrop now, who you do have as the Braves' best prospect. That splitter is what everybody is talking about because I believe I've read almost everybody say that from a non-fastball pitch, the the uh, the grade on this splitter for Hurston Waldrop is about as high as it can get. Is that true? Yeah, I would say Paul Skeens and our own overall pick, Slider, and his splitter, I think were the two best non-fastball pitches in the draft. Maybe mm-hmm. the two best like starting pitcher pitches in the draft is usually, you know, reliever fastball would be the first um, first one you go to. But yeah, and, and so because of that, I mean, everything else he does other than command is above average as well. And his command is like pretty close. He has the components to project command. Uh, and the changeup to me, or the splitter, plays almost more like a knuckleball because he, he gets it so deep into his fingers. It's more in that forkball area than like the slight split finger fastball, which means the further you get it in between your fingers, the more it comes out like a knuckleball with very slow spin, mm. which means it's going to go in unpredictable directions, which is part of the problem he had in college. The reason that uh, Sully at Florida didn't call it a lot is because he didn't know where it was going. And so if he threw it well, I remember there was a game I went to uh, watch Waldrop pitch at South Carolina. He didn't throw the pitch for three straight innings and then threw it five times in a row and then he pulled him out of the game because he was commanding it right then. And so he's like, all right, they can't hit it. Let's just keep it rolling while he's throwing it over the plate. In the same way, like Tim Wakefield would look unhittable for two or three innings and then just give up 10 runs in the third inning. Uh, that's just kind of what happens with those sorts of pitches sometimes. So if he can dial that in, I would imagine the answer may be pull it a little out of your fingers a little bit and maybe give up a little bit of that swing and miss ability and be able to throw it where you want to and maybe have it be a plus pitch instead of a double plus pitch that's unpredictable, that might be the answer. Maybe you go to it less, you know, maybe only throw it to one side of the plate. There's like a lot of ways to kind of dial that in. But he has all the components, all the sort of data, all the performance. And we see this sometimes with guys in college where they get used in such a way to win a college baseball game right now with the least amount of risk. And then them being a good pitcher in pro baseball is actually kind of different than what you're doing in college. A lot of times that guy's not throwing a fastball, throwing too many sliders in the dirt, you know, stuff like that. And in pro baseball, you're doing completely different stuff. And he's one of those rare guys where the approach in college and the approach in pro ball immediately was different enough that he looked like a different pitcher. So what do you – so here we have a high school kid, as you said, who has been kind of a multi-sport kid with A.J. Smith-Shulver and a college pitcher. So as far as, as, as their track here um, – you know, obviously a lot of people think Waldrop could make an impact this year. Alex likes to bring people out of the bullpen sometimes first, uh, as he did with Smith Shaver, as he did with Elder, and, and of course several others in, in Toronto. So could you see that being the approach with Waldrop if he just does very, very well in AAA, Kylie? Yeah, and I, I would also say there was some buzz. It wasn't quite at the reportable level, but there was like chatter that I enlisted Jeff Passon to try to track down that Waldrop was going to get called up for the playoffs two yeah. one inning at a time and to be that you know K-Rod level weapon with the unhittable pitch yeah. or come in the way that Lance McCullers would and just throw 18 sliders in a row, just throw a bunch of splitters no one's ever seen it before. It's probably going to be useful if they don't have a scouting report on you. So I think that, that actually may be the best way to bring him up. The question with Waldrop is can he turn over a big league or upper minors lineup this year? Or is that the thing he's got to learn this year? Uh, or, or does he ever get good at it? Does he become a reliever? So him coming up in relief and also limiting his innings a little bit uh, might actually be the best thing for his development to kind of go in short stints. Because typically what you see with these sorts of guys is, uh, you know, high school guys, you don't want to build up their innings too high. You want to take it slow. And so you have them focus on one or two pitches, go two or three innings at a time to build them up and to learn, you know, say fastball command or throw your change up, the thing that they haven't had to do. 
And with Waldrop, it may be useful to simplify him so that he can have an easier way to execute his pitches and have the command work because the command doesn't matter as much when you're not facing anybody a second time. You're just trying to throw this pitch here. Right. If it's in this kind of location, what you're going to give up is, you know, more of a pop-up than, you know, a home run or, you know, double or something like that. So I, I could see that being the right task for him. And then both of them could be in the rotation in 2025 to start the season. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. If Morton were to retire and if Freed were to go – Elsewhere, I think there are your two replacements right there who would be would be pretty cheap. So w- when you look at this fifth starters competition, Bryce Elder coming back, um, needing to prove he can go deeper in games and deeper in the season. Reynaldo Lopez being stretched out, according to the Braves. They've got A.J. Smith-Shalver. They've got Hurston Waldrop, Vines and Winans and Dodd, as you mentioned. Ian Anderson won't be back until later in the season. How do you handicap that competition there? I mean, I would have to lean toward Elder just because he's done it and did it for you know at least a good part of the season. Uh, he also is another one of those guys that doesn't have the huge physical tools. Is more figuring out how to get by with what he has. Uh, I think in some ways, like throwing the slider more than and the changeup more than he throws the sinker might be like a better way to do it. Which to me sounds like the method of how you would you know build up a five and dive kind of guy. You kind of hoping you can turn over the lineup twice and then avoid trouble and hand it over to the bullpen. Maybe that's what a fifth starter is these days, like a true fifth starter as opposed mm-hmm. to just a fifth guy in a good rotation. Yeah. I would imagine he's just not going to make 32 starts this year, not because he won't be healthy, but just because he's probably going to be up and down. And if he's not executing perfectly, it just isn't the kind of thing that you are looking for for a team like this. And I think with the upside that's in the minors, and you know, like I said, you throw out you know, and Ian Anderson, all these guys with the bigger stuff that have done it before – uh, once you get to the middle of the season and these guys are back or built up or have had a couple of good starts or, you know, whatever it might be, including Smith Shaver, Waldrop, uh, even Dodd, it's like one of those guys is probably going to look like a better option at some point. And so I just sort of assume if everybody's healthy, that that spot will kind of open up at some point um, and guys will get moved around and be in different roles. But I think Elder like definitely makes the most sense to start there and is good enough to keep it the whole year. But there's just a lot of guys around there that I think are will be worthy at some point during the season of that spot. Kylie McDaniel, our guest, talking about the Atlanta Braves and the prospects. Let me ask a non-prospect question real quick. Your thoughts on Chris Sale and his ability to be a force in this rotation? I like it because the – I mean, the Braves offseason was a little odd. Like, nobody ever would have predicted trade, trading uh, for bad contracts to essentially buy Kelnick and then doing a similar thing with Von Grissom to get Chris Sale. At the beginning of the offseason, everybody would think, like, oh, maybe a trade or the Aaron Bummer trade. That was a pretty weird one, too. And then sign some free agents. And now looking back at what they did and what was available, um, there wasn't really a Chris Sale type where there's huge highs. You're, you're getting the, the potential frontline guy, playoff starter, standout dude, but you're probably not getting 200 innings. And you're probably not going to get two or three years of 200 innings. So you'd rather have it on a shorter term, lower money, that kind of thing. Like a much better version of when teams have gone, you know, mid, middle of the season, you go get Roger Clemens or you get Rich Hill thinking you're never getting 200 innings, but he might be really good when you need him in the right yeah. roles. Sales a much better version of that. Um, so because that guy wasn't available in free agency and pretty, in my opinion, mediocre pitchers were getting $15 million a year, buying low on that guy that seems to, going back to Smith-Sharver, have all those intangibles, all those things you want to project a bounce back or an improvement or learning the thing or hitting your upside, he's got all that. Um, so I, that totally makes sense to me. And then looking at, you know, Kalnick and Bummer, like there wasn't necessarily that guy available for that price. And I would argue that the, 
the way the roster was set up, there were a lot of extra guys floating around the fringes or in the upper minors, but didn't seem like they were going to be impact types. That you can, when looking back on it, you could put together why the, the team was put together this way. And Sale, I, I think, will probably be maddening at times and be like, holy cow, how did we get this guy at times as well? And it's just a matter of which one of each guy you're going to get. All right, let's get back to the prospect list. I think the most interesting thing that stood out to me was your placement of two position players in the top three after Hurston Waldrop and before A.J. Smith-Shawver, which I think has not been the consensus among Baseball America and MLB.com. And that is Ignacio Alvarez, a shortstop, a college kid who's still a little young, and then Drake Baldwin, a catcher. Your thoughts on why you had them uh, higher than A.J. Smith-Shawver? And I, I know, as you said, it's kind of a coin flip there still, but – uh, I mean, a lot of people have the Braves with like six, seven pitchers on their top ten list before even a position player, and you like these two kids a lot to put them up there. Tell us why. Yeah, so Baldwin was a guy that uh, it was brought to my attention by a rival team that he had adjusted his swing later in the year. Uh, he was, I mean, he came out of Missouri State. He was, I think, a third or fourth rounder, and it was basically like, oh, this guy can hit and has a little bit of pop, and he might be able to be a catcher. So it was one of those guys where it's like, all right, this is probably like a, you know, Alex Avila, like, you know, backup catcher that can kind of play first and he can hit some and if he's right. healthy and hitting, then he's useful. And if he's not, he's not really worth that much. That was kind of the wrap on him. And then if you go look at his numbers in like the second half, you look at the setups a little bit different, look at the result of what he's been doing. I had some of the track man data, you can see the exit fields and stuff like that. It all looks like a guy that's a real prospect. Uh, there's still a little bit of a question on the receiving. He's re- he has improved in that way. I think it's enough to be a backup that doesn't catch that often or a guy that moves around, get him in the lineup, still could improve. It's a little bit of a uh, late-arriving skill for some guys. Uh, but I think he might be an above-average hitter with an above-average approach and above-average power. And so at some point you're just like, well, that, you know, that sounds like Matt Adams. He's just a first baseman. That's still a guy you'd like to have that kind of fits in a role, especially in a world with the DH um, and then you also have, you know, first base and catcher and things like that. So I, I think he's on the verge of a breakout to become a guy where you're like, oh, that's a guy we need in the big leagues. It's a good bat to have. You don't have to make a trade for that Jock Peterson down the stretch. We got that guy here. And also mm-hmm. it just seems like the Braves have really been turning out catching a lot of late, um, including the guys they've been trading away. Um, so I also have some faith that like that, that pipeline has been good with that sort of player. Nacio Alvarez was a, one of those guys that I knew very little about when he went, I believe, in the fifth round out of a Southern California junior college. Now, if you go back and look, it used to be more than this, but uh, junior college hitters is like there haven't, I think there's only been a couple, like less than five drafted in the top three rounds in like the last 10 years. Like it's been terrible because essentially all the good position players that have tools go out of high school or they go to major colleges. They just mm-hmm. don't end up at junior colleges. They don't go to Vanderbilt and not play and then end up at like San Jacinto. Like they end up playing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so he popped up very late in the process as a guy that was playing shortstop, might be more of a third baseman, somewhere between the two, and was really hitting and had a really good approach, but he was in Southern California Juco, which is like the fourth best area for Juco's. So he just wasn't scouted a lot, and a lot of teams, the Braves made a lot of hay doing this. Uh, teams will go in and see these Juco guys right now, which is when the colleges aren't playing yet. They'll watch the Juco's, and then they won't go back in the rest of the year. But the Braves made a lot of hay getting Craig Kimbrell and other guys like that by staying on those guys the whole season. And the Braves different guys in charge now did that same thing with Alvarez. Uh, and he now looks like he might be a plus hitter with a plus approach and maybe 10 to 15 homer power, not a ton, but enough. And he might be a shortstop and he's got a plus arm that fits anywhere. He'd probably be above average at third base. And he, both of those guys, when I would send a list around to other teams and saw those two guys high, almost invariably the other team would pick out one of the two and be like, oh, good call putting that guy up there. He should be up there. Oh, wow. I get the impression those guys have the trade value and the sort of, 
uh, renowned to other teams and things like that. And it just hasn't necessarily translated into like hype yet. And so I was excited to get ahead of the curve. And I would, I would yeah. say when I sent the list of Braves guys, they were also like, oh, dude, we don't have to tell you to move that guy higher. You already got him right. It's fine. Well, and, and so if both of those guys go to go to double A and really do what they did last year, they're going to they're not going to be a surprise anymore. If people put, put them up there in the top three or four, are they? Yeah, no, I, I don't think that's the case, and I think we've seen with this system. Uh, oh, my dog has decided to join us. Um, that when guys perform well and look like they might be able, to, you know, the kind of guy that can impact the big league team, they move pretty quickly, yeah. and like they're not a, they're not afraid to do that. And I think you know, Jr. Richie's coming off of the TJ. He's the fifth ranked guy that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, there was buzz he was a top 100 prospect before he blew out. So while I think they probably take it easy when he returns this summer from Tommy John surgery, once it looks like he's ready to go, I think he's another guy they might want to throw in the deep end, move up a level higher than you would expect and see if he is what they think he is or if he's just another guy. And, you know, yeah. a lot of the rest of the system is, hey, these, these are okay. These are nice to have their inventory guys. But I know when I came up with the Yankees, uh, there was a story with this. I said the name of the player, you'd recognize him. And they were promoting him sort of too fast based on what you do with other players. And mm-hmm. so I'm just some 19-year-old pimply-faced kid. I'm, I pull my boss aside. I'm like, hey, you know, everything made sense. But, like, why are you promoting that guy? He was like, oh, well, if he's going to start for the Yankees, he can handle this. And, like, if he can't, then we'll find out he can't play for the Yankees. And it's basically <laughs> it's the exact idea. Throw him in the deep end and see what he is. Yeah, that's interesting. Hey, Kylie, can you do another segment with us? You've got a few more minutes? Yeah. Okay, good. Because we got more, more to ask you. And great stuff here. Kylie McDaniel is joining us to talk about the Braves farm system and what we should maybe think in terms of trade bait. And we'll talk about that a little bit more with Kylie McDaniel. We'll start taking your phone calls at the top of the hour. All that and more as we continue right after this. Now, back to the Bill Shank Show on the Superstations. We are visiting with Kylie McDaniel and the ESPN MLB insider about his Bragg's prospect list on ESPN.com a couple of days ago. Kylie, one more question about the Alvarez kid, the shortstop, who we expect to go to double A. Do you think if his defense continues to show progress at that position, if the Braves would want to go to a younger player in that position, could he replace Orlando Arcia there? Uh, I wouldn't count on that being the case. Uh, I would say he's like probably better than Von Grissom and that you'd probably be fine putting him there. But he's not so good that you definitely feel like he is a solution, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think of him as more of, you know, I, I guess like when Camargo came up and Griffin mm-hmm. came up, where it's sort of like this is an infielder that can play short if you need him to, more than this is a shortstop. Okay, all right. Well, it's still good to have that kind of player in the system. A lot of pitching in this system. They had a lot of pitchers in the draft last year. I want to ask you next about Spencer Schwellenbach. We had him on the show two years ago when he was rehabbing from Tommy John. He came back last year. He was kind of like what you were mentioning about A.J. Smith-Shalver, uh, a kid that hit at Nebraska and then got drafted as a pitcher, and then he had Tommy John surgery. Uh, did he do enough last year, even at his age, to kind of get back on track, in your opinion? Yeah, he, he's changed, I think, the kind of player he is. So when he was drafted, as you said, it was uh... – uh, the sort of late arriving, uh, good in short sense. I don't think he threw more than two or three innings, but like maybe once or twice in college. Yeah. And then he had Tommy John. So the idea was, oh, this, and it was like electric stuff. It was like on the 2080 scale where 50 is major league average, 55 is a little above average. His stuff was all 60s and 70s and he had four pitches. So he seemed like a guy that could be a real late inning weapon, but coming off of Tommy John, they'd try, probably try to build him up as a starter, see if those four pitches, the athleticism of the command could come, that kind of thing. So last year was his first year back all the way from Tommy John. 
And he was more of like a 50 to 55, like solid average, a little bit above average stuff with good command. It was a different sort of guy. And so then the question is, you continue developing him that way. Uh, the stuff would be, you know, a little better than Elder, probably not quite at like the ace level potential that you'd like to have from that kind of guy. Do you use him as one of those one time through the lineup reliever that can spot start with maybe, you know, above average to plus stuff? Or do you try to stretch him out five, six innings at a time and get maybe like a fourth starter? That's a little bit more of the choice and like how does his, you know, body and stuff uh, develop in those different roles? How do they feel about that? Maybe they think his stuff's going to explode this year in his second full year after TJ. Like there's still some questions to be answered there, but he looks like he is certainly a big league pitcher of some sort. And again, double A could answer those questions, couldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think usually when you go in the upper minors, you find out, Oh, he thought it was above average stuff. It's actually kind of fringy. He's having to pitch around it. Now that guy needs to be a reliever or he's got 11 strikeouts per nine. All right. If he can do that in double A, he can probably do that in triple A. And that means he's probably a starter. So let's continue going in that direction. All right, the Braves did draft a lot of, of players the, really the last couple of years that, that were pitchers. Owen Murphy, who you have at number nine, Cade Kuehler, Drew Hackenberg. Uh, of those pitchers in the last few drafts, who do you want to see this year and to see what they could become maybe nine months from now? Uh, Kuehler's the one that interests me the most. He got, I think he got a little over a million dollars. Hackenberg got almost two. And I still don't quite understand why that is the way it worked out. Um, but because I, I thought Keeler was a, a clearly better pitcher who had multiple years of scouts following closely at Campbell, and he had the quality that I think the Braves like most uh, were drawn to is he has one of those top of the zone fastballs that gets swings and misses in the middle to upper nineties that he has pretty good command for. It's not Spencer Strider, but that's he does that thing the same way Spencer Strider does. And as a starter, he was going six innings deep into games. This is at Campbell, so it's you know mid major, but he's facing like you know pro hitters. Um, he would sit like 93 to 96 and hit some sevens and eights um, and would sit even higher than that in shorter stints with like Team USA. And you're like, oh, that guy is a big leaguer of some sort because being able to command that pitch in that location and have those kinds of characteristics is very rare. And then on certain days, you'd see starter command, you'd see two above average breaking balls, and you're like, okay, this guy's probably going to at least turn the lineup over once. You're kind of getting in that Schwellenbach area with maybe a little more raw stuff. But if it doesn't work, then that guy's going to be like lethal in the eighth, maybe even ninth inning, depending on how it turns out. Whereas for me, Murphy and Hackenberg are a little more in that kind of bulk starter area right now in terms of the stuff command profile. Murphy, I think, can be better, but he's still young. He's a little more of a slower burn, cold weather, you know, two-way dual sport, all that kind of stuff that Smith Schauber was. He's on that kind of program. Hackenberg, for me, is a little more of like the, you know, fourth starter innings eater, you know, that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see how all three of those guys do coming up. Now, the Braves just signed their top international prospect since the uh, scandal from several years ago with Jose Perdermo, who I know is uh, 17 years old. They signed him to a $5 million deal. What have you heard about that kid? And, of course, he's only seventh on or eighth, rather, on your list because we haven't really seen him too much. But, uh, I mean, he got the most money, right, of any international prospect in this cycle? Uh, if it wasn't the most, it was close to the most. He okay. was one of the first guys to pop in that class. He's actually played in Georgia multiple times. I believe he either grew up in the States or had family in the States. So he played at like East Cobb and stuff like that. He played in Orlando for a little bit. And that, I think, sped up his whole process because when you see him facing, say, sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school, you have a little better idea of where that guy fits in. Um, and he was not afraid of going to events. And he's one of those guys that um, look like a little more physically – uh, mature early in, in his uh, career. So age, you know, we're talking like 
maybe as early as 13, but definitely 14, 15, teams are offering him seven figures. There's like a bidding war. Like everyone's kind of getting in there. That He was one of those guys, one of the handful of guys in this class that were like that. Um, so he's not like he's not going to be one of these six four two fifty that kind of guy. He's more in like the five eleven one seventy five, but he's an above average runner with an above average arm, hands for the infield. Might be a shortstop kind of defense. Depends where things go physically, but he can really hit. Looks like he'll hit you know at least fifteen twenty homer kind of power. Has a really good approach. He's one of the more polished guys in the class. Could be somebody that moves quickly. Um, so he has all those markers that you would expect to see from a guy that kind of stands out early in the class, but he has enough tools that you think he'll stay near the top of the class as he continues to develop. That sounds like what Elvis Andrus sounded like a decade and a half ago. Yes, I actually was working for the Yankees the year he was in the GCL, and he would come play, and he looked like he did not belong in that league. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Dayton Moore loved that kid, and I think you knew. And Elvis has had a great career. He's had uh, like 2,000 hits, so he's had a really good career. All right, here, here's the question I want to most ask you now in our uh, about two and a half minutes left. The Braves have a lot of, of people signed up for the long term with their position player uh, position players, obviously. A lot of players that are locked up. And and I've said that I'm glad the Braves went after pitching the last couple of drafts because I feel like they can have more currency for trades that they may need moving forward. I know this farm system is not highly ranked. You've got them 28. Most people do have them kind of in the last five in Major League Baseball. But does this system right now and have the potential moving forward in the next couple of months, the first few months of the minor league season, have the potential to develop and and – and have available a lot of trade bait for Alex Anthopoulos? Yes. And the the thing I, I always say, this doesn't go for the other publications, but the way that, I guess Fangraphs does it the same way I do since I sort of learned it over there. But the, the way that I rank the farm systems is essentially a math problem where I won't bore you with all the details, but we essentially go through and figure out each tier of prospect, they're worth an amount of money. And that's how much they're worth above what they would be paid in their first six years, which is what they can, you know, what a team controls them before they hit free agency. Right. And so you, so you just add up the number that each player is worth. And it turns out that if you were to ask somebody in the industry, hey, for the 25th overall prospect in baseball, whoever that is, how many of the 250th prospect in baseball would you have to trade? And they would always say, oh, like six or seven. And the answer is like actually 20. Like it's way higher than you think it is. <laughs> and so guys in the top 100 have like a disproportionate value, and the Braves only have one. Right. But as I said, in that 101 to 200, 250 area, they have like six or seven guys already. And that's not counting Perdomo, uh, the guy from the, uh, the international class before that, Guanipa. And then you also have Keeler, the guy I talked about that could put up huge strikeout rates and just zoom through a ball. There's a couple guys that are like that, that have the tools to break out or like 50 spots away from being in the top 100 or just need to prove themselves in pro ball. And I think they will, where they could jump into that area. And once you have three or four guys in that area, you're like essentially out of the bottom six or seven spots just because you have two or three guys. So even if Waldrop is in the big leagues to stay by the middle of the season, there might be three guys replacing him in that area. And that wasn't the case in the last couple of years with the Braves where there was one or two guys that might break through. And when there's one or two, you're either going to get zero or one. Like, they're not all going to break through. Yeah. And in this yeah. case, there's now 10 or 12 guys that could be the target to break through. Well, it's great stuff. Kylie, we enjoy your work so much. We always love having you on. We'll have you on before the draft as well. But thank you so much, Kylie. We appreciate it. Yep, thanks for having me. All right, Kylie McDaniel, ESPN.com, at Kylie MCD on Twitter. Let's open up the phones, 478-646-ESPN, here on the Bill Shank Show.